Hello, I'm Party Parslow, and this is Party in China. It's the story of my fascinating, frustrating, and very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because just too much happened, and it's not nothing but the truth because there are jokes and hearsay, conjecture and mistakes, and because half the time I was half drunk. Welcome to episode twelve of Party in China. I'd been in Sichuan for three months, and an astute immigration cop had told me that there was no way I'd receive another extension to my tourist visa, and that she suspected I was teaching in Diang. She was right, and she said, "There will be severe penalties." She terrified me, but I had to admire her English. While waiting for the handcuffs to click shut on my wrists, I went back to work. Well, sort of. I couldn't see the point of actually trying to teach anything since my tenure was suddenly curtailed, and just showed them old Looney Tunes cartoons instead. I mainly chose musicals, intending that the class could sing along to the songs. But while the kids understood and loved the stories, they couldn't fathom the jazzy beats of Three Little Bops. He huffed and puffed at the house of sticks, but sticks are stronger than straw or bricks. You know that one? Or the 1920s ragtime in one froggy evening. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss by wire, baby. My heart's on fire. So we'd all watch the cartoon, and then I'd end up singing the song solo, and badly, until they cried out for me to play the cartoon again. I'd leave the classroom door open so students from other classes could catch a few bars. If you refuse me, honey, you'll lose me. Then you'll be left alone. So, baby, telephone and tell me I'm your own. Unsurprisingly, a few teachers complained to Mr. Wong both about my singing and the fact that their kids were sneaking out to listen. I didn't care that I was making a fool of myself in school because I was making a fool of myself everywhere else every day. I'd worked out that I would be stared at, followed, photographed, and videoed every bloody day, no matter what I was doing. The locals would react the same way whether I was walking along quietly, minding my own business, or skipping and cackling like a kookaburra. So it was a lot more fun to do the loony stuff. I'd go through the supermarket checkout with an item balanced on my head, pretending I didn't know it was there until the confused shop girl had to reach up and grab it so she could check it out. Sometimes I'd stop complete strangers in the street and tell them a filthy joke, complete with obscene actions. Most ran away, but some would listen, although they never laughed at the punchline. Not once. Retailers often had motivational staff meetings on the pavement in front of the shop. Uh, employees would gather and chant slogans or inspirational messages or something. I don't know. While performing calisthenics or dance moves, it was fun to join in with that. But it was even more fun to take over the loud hailer from the boss and get them to chant "Frag Burns Eats Worms" from Mash, or "Or oh, once you've had black, you'll never look back." Walking past a hotel one day, I saw the staff had assembled in the car park for a tug of war. Randomly choosing a side, I went to that end of the rope, looped it around my waist, and started heaving backwards mightily. They all cheered when I arrived, but once my side started winning, the others let go of the rope and wouldn't play anymore until half a dozen of them had shepherded me out and、uh, locked the gates behind me. I remember thinking that this freedom to act like a lunatic. Was the one thing that I'd miss when I was deported, hopefully deported, not detained in some hellhole of a prison. Although I did meet a Westerner who said he knew a Westerner 
who had actually done several months in a Chinese jail. He reported that it wasn't too bad that you could buy little luxuries and that there was no shanking or sodomy, as the warden had the absolute right to add years to your sentence or take time off. So all the inmates were constantly on their best behaviour. I also remember thinking that the one thing I wouldn't miss was the great Chinese hawk. Here's an edited version of what I wrote about it at the time. The great Chinese hawk is not uncommon. It's usually the first thing I hear upon waking, often the final sound in my ears before sleep. In fact, the great Chinese hawk seems to be everywhere. I've seen and heard it on top of mountains and below skyscrapers, at school and at home, from the windows of trains and buses, during long walks in the country and short strolls to the shops. I've heard and seen the great Chinese hawk at all times of day and night in sunshine and storms. And every time it makes me feel sick. The great Chinese hawk is not an ornithological entity. It's a sociological oddity. It's the fact that people here feel it's perfectly okay to expel gobs of filthy mucus with cacophonous velocity in any social situation. The GCH commences with a guttural eruption a noisy strain echoing through the sinus, designed to drag the dirty, sticky mess up from whatever lung or liver cranny it lurks and shift the revolting, viscous package to a suitable position for pneumatic propulsion into the outside world, i.e. where I live. I realise this is entirely my problem, the Chinese are fine with it, and 1.4 billion people can't be wrong. Unless you give them the vote, apparently, then they might make the wrong choice. The first time I attended the local swimming pool, after many male specimens wearing speedos, even the ones who shouldn't, had fun pointing and laughing at my board shorts, I was very much enjoying my swim, but then my ears pricked up with dismay as I realised the hawk was there. Suddenly, the water felt warm, viscous, polluted. I started scanning around for bobbing globs of gob, with more intensity than I ever checked for shark fins at Bondi. But panic subsided as I caught the culprits in the act. You know that grill that surrounds the swimming pool about a foot in from the edge? I'd always thought that was there to catch any overflow. But no, it's actually designed for swimmers to pause in their laps, hike themselves up on their elbows, and hawk up chlorinated discharge into the drain. Another foreign teacher had shared my alarm and subsequent relief. She said, I'm glad they're doing that outside instead of inside for pool. A worthy thought more pithily expressed as better out than in, a phrase more often associated with another of the body's expulsive phenomena. Still, I suppose I'd better get used to it, so I'll try and be more phlegmatic. Ah, phlegmatic. Thank you. The other teacher mentioned was Jean, the lovely German, before that day's unfortunate encounter with the horrible hawk. We'd separated into the male and female dressing rooms and emerged in our swimsuits. Gorgeous Jean was wearing a bright green skimpy bikini that made me very happy, but made Mr Wong very unhappy. Jean was instantly swathed in a large towel and a female employee hustled her back into the change room. Despite my protests, Mr Wong and the pool manager disappeared into a sort of kiosk and selected some more modest swimwear for her. She soon reappeared in another green bikini, but this one had a veil from bust to thighs. Now Mr Wong was happy, but I was unhappy. 
At least she got a free swimsuit out of it. I was in desperate need of new clothes. I'd stupidly imagined that I'd be able to purchase cheaper shoes and clothes in China than at home. And I probably could have if any store stocked anything that came close to fitting me. I was losing weight but still couldn't find any pants, shirts or shoes anywhere near my size. The staff in most menswear stores would greet my arrival with hysterics. A walking mission impossible, like a sumo wrestler trying to buy Lycra bicycle outfits. Occasionally a more professional clerk would try and help, holding back laughter until I tried and failed to squeeze myself into some article of clothing. One very helpful young woman gave me some 2X sized trousers, confident that they'd do the job, but Chinese X's must mean something different to ours. Even though my belly was smaller now, I couldn't establish if the trouser waist would fit me as I couldn't even push my thigh through the leg hole. Nor could I remove it. I'm pretty sure she filmed me on her phone when I lost balance and hopped backwards out of the changing cubicle while trying to yank my leg back out of the pants. It's probably on Yuku, Chinese YouTube, right now. <laughs> In both Diang and Chengdu, I took to following fat blokes around, hoping they'd stop and buy some outsized clothing somewhere. They never did. Once, instead of a big person, I followed a little person. See, I love dwarfs because my Aunt Nora is a dwarf and when I was very young, she was the adult who was the most fun to be with. After we emigrated to Australia, I missed her terribly, but a few years later when we returned home because my mother's mother was dying of cancer, it was very strange to be suddenly taller than Nora. But she was still lovely to me and I must have subconsciously imprinted warm feelings for people like her. So when I saw a Chinese dwarf on the bus one day, I wanted to befriend him. But he got off before I'd worked out what I could possibly say in Mandarin. I couldn't remember if Shao meant little or short. Or maybe both, and maybe both might be insulting. Still, I felt compelled to go after him and try and be friends. Of course, I hadn't seen things from his perspective. He quickly became alarmed at being followed by a huge grinning white giant. Ignored my attempts at friendly conversation ducked through a hole in a fence and disappeared. Well, he didn't duck, but I would have had to. However, chasing dwarfs through holes wasn't really important. My upcoming clash with the law was, and I had no idea what to do about it. Fleeing was an attractive option, but the nasty policewoman in the visa office had kept my passport. I thought about reporting it lost and getting a replacement one and then remembered that the nearest embassy was Beijing and the consulate was Shanghai and foreigners can't travel. Planes, trains, long-distance coaches, hire cars, nothing. Without your passport. Plus, lying about losing a passport was a big deal. I knew because I used to work in the Sydney Passports Office and had been lied to just like that by people who had then been arrested by the Federal Police right in front of me, so that seemed like a bad idea. I have a hundred stories from my time as a passport officer. Here are two. Back then, travel agents could organise passports for their clients and I became friendly with several of the regulars. They soon tried to make me laugh by bringing in applications in ridiculous names. Lance Spoil, Miles Behind, stuff like that. These weren't comedic geniuses. But then I was presented with application forms for a couple called Dick and Fanny Hyman. I laughed a lot but sent him away, even though he was adamant they were genuine applicants. The next day he came back in with an elderly Jewish couple returning to Europe for the first time since they were rescued from a concentration camp. Mr and Mrs Dick and Fanny Hyman received their Australian passports in about 10 minutes. 
from a helpful but red-faced and apologetic clerk. But my favourite story comes from a time when I was on the public counter and determined to overcome the ennui of dealing with hundreds of people a day by treating each one as a valued individual. A distinguished gentleman sat down opposite me and I said, Good morning, mister. Taking his application form, I read the name, which was spelled G-L-A-S-S-C-O-C-K. Determined not to laugh, I forced myself to speak and squeaked out, Good morning, Mr. Glasscock. I bet the girls could see you coming. I roared with laughter. He frowned and replied, That's classic. And I collapsed. On the next party in China, will party even be in China? If I am, will I be in a school or a cell? If I'm in a cell, will I get the upper bunk? And will my cellmate be a mysterious Mongolian monk named Ka Ming Sun? That's coming soon on Party in China. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.